never overplay the Aussie anymore. Like that's one thing that annoys me when I when I travel when you meet another Aussie and they're like, oh, yeah, how you go, mate? And he's like, oh, good day, mate. You know, they get full Aussie. It's just like, okay, settle down. <laughs> I know you're Australian. You don't have to prove it to me. <laughs> Hi, I'm Alan Hill, the nostalgic vagabond. I lived out of a backpack for many years during my 20s and some 30s. I'm less of a nomad these days. In this podcast series, I'm catching up with old friends, wonderful people I've met in the traveller's trek. And what better time is there to catch up, reminisce, and see how everyone is getting on in 2020? I hope you enjoy hearing about our journeys as much as we've enjoyed sharing. world isn't that big, is it? In the last 100 years or so, enormous advances have been made in travel and of course technology in general. This podcast would not be possible without video conferencing software such as Zoom. I think the world only seems big to someone who perhaps sees themselves as small. I don't mean that in any way to cause offence. What I'm trying to say, I guess, is if your world experiences is limited, maybe you come from a small country town, the world can seem big in your eyes. But it doesn't have to stay that way. All you need is a backpack, some money to buy a ticket, and just go somewhere. Just go explore. My guest on this podcast is Darren Madigan. We both come from the same small country town in Australia. We both played for the same small local soccer club on the weekends. We both remained on our island, more or less, until our mid-twenties, when we made the commitment to leave Australia and find out for ourselves how big or in fact, how small our planet really is. I had lost touch with Daz over the years since high school, but a mutual funny man friend put us back in touch. The ironic thing here is, now we both live at the Antipodes in the UK, and about 40 minutes away from each other in the Great Northwest. See? The world isn't that big, is it? This podcast was sadly not able to be done in person due to COVID-19, and it was recorded during lockdown life. Hashtag. Anyway, let's just get on with it, eh? Darren, yeah, how you doing? Yeah, yeah, good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, technical difficulties, such a pain in the ass. <laughs> it always happens at the worst moments, too. <laughs> Where are you, man? You're in Manchester, is that right? Yeah, yeah, in Manchester, mate, yeah. It's actually a bit of sun at the moment, which is good to see. <laughs> 15 degrees and some sun. <laughs> One of 10 days in the whole year or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. Got to make the most of it. How are you, mate, anyway? Yeah, I'm doing fine. You know, as much as anybody can, this is a weird time and yeah. you kind of just have to get on with it. Yeah, I know. It's just, it's just strange. So much stuff going on all the time. It's just like... I don't know. <laughs> it's weird. It's very weird. <laughs> it's kind of ironic that we come from the same small town and now we're living on the other side of the world about 45 minutes to an hour away from each other, depending on the traffic. I know, mate. It's strange, isn't it? That's what, like, when I got your message, I was like, what? <laughs> Is you Liverpool? Because I actually go to Liverpool quite a bit. And, um, and I was actually living there for like a few months as well. So we could have just walked past each other and we wouldn't have even known. It's, it's very likely, mate. How are you finding it in Manchester? Yeah, it's good. It's good. I've um, been here for about a year now. So it's been, it's good to mix it up and do something different. I was living down south for a while in, in Oxford and, and my missus is from Liverpool. So it was good 
you know, everyone talks about the North being better and more friendly and, you know, a lot more sort of stuff going on. So, um, yeah, so we made a move up and it's, it's been good, really good, actually. So, yeah, enjoying it. Yeah, I lived in Manchester for eight or nine months. And oh, did you? Yeah, this is going back, oh, a good four or five years now. And I liked it. I, I think it had a nice mix of old and new, clean and dirty and wonderful people with absolute balance. Yeah, well, that's it, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly like that. You like you walk from one end of the town to the other, and then it's, it is like dirty and scrappy and stuff. And then some areas are just like like where I sort of live on the just right there is like spinning fields. So it's all like you know up class, up market. But you go walk one mile that way into Salford, it's just like oh man, <laughs> bit of a change when you cross the river. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Have you been to Batemans Bay uh, since all the fires happened over the new year? No, I missed all that, mate. I um, I was over there February last year. It's pretty hilarious because I was there in February last year as well. Oh, really? <laughs> I know. We're following each other. <laughs> yeah, that's strange, isn't it? Yeah, so I was there for a month February last year, but I haven't been over since the bushfires. It's pretty hectic, like just sitting at home and like, feeling a bit helpless like I wanted to sort of fly home really and just trying to you know contact mom and stuff and make sure they're all okay and you know they had no phone signal and what tracking the fire on that you know that app that they had as well it's like quite quite stressful actually so yeah I remember it was a very weird new year for me because I was working and that was a good distraction in a way but I felt this bizarre pain and wrenching in my stomach because obviously there's nothing you can do yeah and it was just this weird nostalgia of seeing Batemans Bay our hometown the south coast of New South Wales on the BBC News prime time yeah and on fire and like you see those images and you can see like like a lot of photos like from Josh Birkinshaw I don't know if you know him but yeah I know him there's a lot of photos on the media and stuff with his pips and stuff it's just like wow this is it's just strange, isn't it? You can see people like in the river, on the beaches and stuff. And are your parents still there then? Ironically, my parents were living in the UK at that time. Okay. And they were living in the UK for a bit over two years, but they got caught up in all this coronavirus pandemic. So they got trapped in lockdown when it all kicked off. Okay. And they were hoping to get back to Australia, but it was more or less impossible. So they were kind of trapped in a apartment style prison for about two months. Oh. However, they are back now, but they don't live in Bakemans Bay anymore. So yeah, strange times, isn't it? Yeah, well let's uh let's talk about travel then, mate. Let's let's get off off this sort of morbid topic and head into <laughs> head into the, the meat and beans of uh of what we're here to do. Yeah. So like we mentioned, we are both from a small town called Batemans Bay. I don't know about you, but growing up in a small town has its positives and negatives. At least it was for us in in Batemans Bay. It seemed the general trend was once you graduated high school and, and needed to find a job or go to university, you would leave to somewhere bigger or maybe even to a city. For you and me, however, we uh, we went a bit more extreme and left the country altogether. <laughs> different step isn't it <laughs> yeah so yeah. where where did you begin where did this odyssey of traveling begin where when was it where did you first go and and how was that for you um well i did move around australia a little bit and uh, but the first big move sort of i guess outside of australia is i took a bit of a leap and i moved to south korea 
taught um, English there for a couple of years. So that was the first big step. I, I sort of did my uni on the Sunshine Coast and I met a lot of interesting people from different countries and backgrounds and stuff. And obviously, as you said, like living in Batemans Bay, you don't really, because it's such a small town, you don't really get to feel that and you meet these people from different countries. So I went up to uni and I met the, all these amazing people and I was like, you know what, there's so much more out there. And then I didn't have much money and I was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I met someone and they're like, why don't you teach English abroad? So literally I just Googled teaching English where it pays the most and South Korea popped up. <laughs> I was like, okay, just filled out the application. Six months later, I was over there teaching. So that was sort of the start of it. And I think think that experience living in South Korea just opened my eyes that, you know, there's so much more out there and the cultures and the people that you meet. Um, that was the thing that set it off for me, I think. And then after that, you know, especially obviously in Australia, everything's so far away and living in Korea, you know, you can pop over to Japan or China down the Philippines and there's a lot more options to travel easier. So that was the main turning point in my life, I think. What age were you when you went over to South Korea? So I started quite late, to be honest. I, I hadn't done much traveling at all. So this was in, I guess, 2011, okay. about 10 years ago. So I was about 25. So before then, I hadn't done any any traveling or anything like that. I, I was just sort of floating about, did a bit of uni, a bit of study, working a bit, and then sort of everything just opened my eyes after uni. I was like, you know, I'm 25, I haven't done much, and thought you know now's the time otherwise you know i'm going to be a bit too old and settle down and all that sort of stuff i understand so. so you did move around the country in australia a little bit for mostly studying and working but yeah. this was your abroad experience where you jumped into the deep end and just went for it do you think that you'd reached a time in your life where you needed to kind of figure out where you wanted to be yeah 100 percent. like I was, I was a bit lost because i finished my degree and sort of went looking for a few jobs and you know I was just walking into these offices and you know applying for jobs it's just like it's not for me I don't want to you know settle down yeah I don't want to you know get into this routine or um and a lot of mates had you know long-term girlfriends or looking to have kids and all this sort of stuff and I just wasn't ready for that and I just wanted to you know I guess run away a little bit and Mm. and experience something different and so yeah, that's what I just did. I just jumped in the deep and said, "What? What's you know? What do I have to lose?" So and it, it literally it opened my eyes, and it was such a great experience. And from that, it's just developed over the years. Nothing's nothing's out of out of reach. You can always you know throw yourself in the deep end and experience other things. So would you say that making that decision to go to South Korea, where you get the best money for teaching English in Asia, and just jumping in the deep end was a turning point in your life? Oh, yeah, definitely, 100%. I think understanding people and cultures was a big part of it. I When I moved to Korea, I didn't, like a lot of people moved to Seoul or Busan, the bigger cities, and I literally got moved to this really, really small city. Um, and I think there's about 20 other foreigners in the city. So it's quite small, very rural farming, little farming city, really, and just got thrown into the deep end. The school where I worked, you know, never had a foreign teacher there before. So they were like, the experience was new for them, was new for me. And so they sort of were very welcoming and sort of opened up their arms and they took me out hiking and to dinner and all this sort of stuff. And I wasn't trapped in like a foreigner bubble. Like, I don't know, you might can relate. Like, moving into the UK, I didn't want to 
moved to London because that's where all the Aussies are. I didn't want to, you know, do that. I didn't want to go to like Canada where all the Aussies are. So I try to go somewhere where it's different. I can sort of immerse yourself in the culture and learn a few different things and experience a few different things. You've yeah. definitely taken the harder option, which I think is really admirable because it's only the fewer more brave and courageous people that would do that. However, it doesn't resolve the fact that you are still going to experience some kind of culture shock. Can you explain what kind of culture shock you experienced on arrival in South Korea and how you coped with it? Um, obviously, the, the, the main things is the language issue. Um, thankfully, one of my, mate, of my good mates now, he's half Korean Canadian, so he, he helped quite a lot with that. But it's just, just the way things are done and respecting your elders, um, just norms that you when you go out to dinner and when you're serving drinks and there's lots of rules, society rules that you have to abide by, especially where I was living. Not so, maybe not so much in Seoul anymore, but where I was living, it's very old school. So you, because I was the youngest person at the school, when we'd go out for teacher dinners, I, it was my job to serve everyone alcohol for the whole night. So I had to figure out who was the oldest, serve them first, and then you work your way down. Um, something like that like I just you know, obviously never done before and then and that was my job every you know a table of 20-30 people and I had to go around pouring everyone drinks all you night. were the beer bitch <laughs> the beer bitch yeah is it true that the oldest person has to pay oldest person generally pays yeah yeah so um, it's normally the principal um, the head teacher but yeah they, they normally pay for that but there's lots of little things like that like shaking hand you've got to shake hands with two hands and lots of little things that you never thought of but it's quite quite unique and cool to experience and not something that I'd want to do forever but you know for that couple of years it was quite enjoyable definitely really opens your eyes doesn't it and yeah. it's interesting uh, these little lessons that you learn you know that you have to serve the drinks if you're the youngest person at the dinner table in South Korea or shaking hands with two hands seems absurd to us because that's not what our culture is but mm. it's just something you have to sometimes you have to make the mistake and embarrass yourself but then learn quickly so yeah. you don't look like the foreign fool in the end I remember one time I was in uh, Prague and I was meeting some Russians some friends of friends of a Russian I had already met previously in Toronto years before and it was January so it was freaking cold man it was probably minus 15 degrees yeah. or something and I was meeting a friend and then was going to be introduced to her friend and he was this sort of well-built Russian dude yeah and I shook his hand with my glove on uh -huh. I just shook his hand because that's you know and I didn't realize that that's kind of offensive in in their culture I didn't know but I totally respect and appreciate that you have to learn these lessons and sometimes you have to make the mistakes and learn from them and then you know what's culturally appropriate for that culture in the future and i mean who who knows what's going to happen now with all this COVID 19 maybe having gloves on is going to be what's culturally appropriate for in the future that's it, that's it. <laughs> a backward step for some elbow touches <laughs> yeah yeah i think i think that's right and i i think especially when you're new somewhere it was it was quite good because when you're new somewhere they you know they give you a bit of leniency at the start they're like but after a couple of months, the expectation was, okay, he's been here long enough. He should know when to pour the drinks. He should be, you know, know how to shake hands and bow when I'm supposed to and all this sort of stuff. And it's right. Those little things like 
as you know, growing up in Batemans Bay, we don't have many Asian restaurants. So I'd never really learned how to use chopsticks. And I, I had to go out to dinner this night. And I was like, how, what am I going to do? I don't know how to use chopsticks. And obviously, and they don't have forks or spoons or whatever. Um, so literally, one, half a day, I just sat there in my bedroom, like just practicing chopsticks before the big dinner, the first dinner, the first week I got there. And then I was stumbling all over the place, but that's a vibe. They all laughed and it was a good time. So, yeah. I think it's great. Like, if you don't take yourself too seriously, yeah. you can become the, the foreign celebrity and they will be entertained by you. They'll want to help you and you'll get almost like a one-on-one attention and yeah. you will learn much more quickly by the immersion than if you would if let's say like you said you're in Seoul and you're hanging out in a more cosmopolitan and even sometimes more western area where you're not challenged as much to learn the culture and adjust to the culture that's phenomenal man it's really great I didn't I didn't have the beard back then but I had the no hair obviously and that was you know that unique for them out. too that was unique so I would like <laughs> drive around all the kids would be waving and all the parents would be waving around the little city it was like there he is it's like a beacon <laughs> and I'm obviously, <laughs> I'm obviously old man <laughs> yeah. and obviously I'm a little bit taller than everyone else I'm like hey 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 down the main street so yeah it was a good time would you say that experience in South Korea gave you the trouble bug, as we say? Yeah, definitely. I think um, I did do a little, like I went to the States and stuff before I went to Korea and that sort of ticked it off a little bit. But, you know, America and Australia is quite similar in terms of cultures, but going to somewhere completely different, it's just like, wow, you know, and that uh, it did, it did sort of trigger the travel bug and having that opportunity to live in Korea and earn some not too bad money and then being able to fly to a lot of other countries sort of that two years sort of opened the gateway to you know a lot of other places that I'd visit so yeah definitely you when you were in South Korea did you you were there for two years yeah that's right yeah so you used your South Korea as a, a base hub and I imagine like you said you explored some of the other Asian countries did you tick off quite a few I've pretty much done all of that sort of not going towards like Pakistan and stuff, but I've done most of Asia, I would say. Um, I haven't done like China. I haven't done like Myanmar, but a lot of those places I've done, Thailand and obviously Cambodia, Vietnam and all those sort of places I've done um, either recently or um, during my time in Korea. Especially Japan, we pop over to Japan a bit, Hong Kong, Taiwan and stuff like that, Philippines. Um, there were some of the main ones I went and saw when I was in Korea. Cheap to fly, cheap once you get there, and it's really, really enjoyable. So definitely, yeah. When you were choosing these particular destinations, are there certain things that are at the top of your list for reasons to go there, whether it's particular cultural? Um, it, it just depends. A lot of it, it depends on the time off. Um, if it's a week or two, obviously being a little young coastal man living up in a coastal town uh, the beach is a big one for me so where I was living in South Korea no beach so my first port of call would be to places where there's a good beach so like the Philippines and Taiwan there's some good surf so I'd go there if it's a short like weekend trip then I'd pop over to maybe like a more of a boozy cultural foodie sort of time so it might be at a Tokyo or Osaka or something like that so they're the sort of two different ones if it's a shorter time we'd go to like maybe a city break I would be more boozy and foodie and, you know, hang out for five days and experience the culture and the city. If it was a longer period of time, I'd maybe yeah, go surfing or diving or something in, in maybe Thailand or Taiwan or Philippines or something like that. Yeah, they're, they're the two main things for me. How does the 
the water sports differ from what you get in Australia? Obviously, the surf, it's not as good as Oz, <laughs> obviously. Uh, but it wasn't too bad. It was surprisingly not too bad. Um, and there's a lot more inept surfers and stuff in, in these countries. So I was like a pro there. <laughs> but, um, Brilliant. Yeah. Um, but the, the good thing was actually scuba diving. Um, the diving is really, really good. I haven't really done much diving in Oz, but the diving in like Philippines, I did some diving in, in Sibadan, which is in Borneo as well. That was really, really good. And Thailand obviously is really good. So the diving I've done um, around Asia is, is a lot more affordable again, but it's a, it's a lot yeah, I just really, really enjoyed it. Obviously, in Australia, the surfing thing is you can go surfing whenever you want, but um, living in Korea, you know, the surf's not always on in different countries. So having that other option to go diving sort of opened that gateway up as well. So a lot of places I'd go from getting my dive certificate while I was in Korea um, has allowed me to, I guess, experience a lot of other countries and go diving in those other countries as well. So that's, that's been really good as well. Where would you say has been your most adventurous destination and where you've done your most adventurous activities? Probably like Borneo, maybe. I've been to Borneo twice now. The first time was to do um, some diving, as I just mentioned. And maybe about two years ago, me and my missus, we went to Borneo as well. And we did like a volunteering stint and just in the middle of the jungle in Borneo. The guy who owns this like the resort sort of hotel, he put us up in um, like a little cabin there and we just did work around his little resort and clearing, you know, trees and scrubs and help building stuff, painting or whatever for a couple of weeks. And that was quite adventurous, like just in the middle of the jungle and um, outdoor showers and just lots of mozzies and all this sort of stuff you have to be wary of. And actually, I um, first night we were there and I went into the outdoor shower and I was like, you know, after a hot, hot, long day of work, I was just in the shower, have, you know, cooling down. And then there in the shower was like this scorpion about this big, like, holy. <laughs> about, about, about as long as what? Your fingers? Yeah, about as long as my fingers, a bit longer, I would say. I just saw that. I was like, wow, <laughs> I've got to get out of here. I've got to change shower. The fact that it was a scorpion, which is not a typical animal we might come across in Australia, it made you scared. If it had have been a type of spider or something you were more familiar with, do you think you would have had the same reaction? Um, if it was a, yeah, no, if it was a spider, I'm okay with spiders. Um, a lot of other things I'm okay with. Just through that growing up in Oz and in, you know, in the bush, I guess, in Bateman's Bay. Yeah, scorpion, unfamiliar with that. Don't know anything about it. Not going near it. And any, any snakes I see, I run away as well. But everything else I'm sort of okay with. So, yeah. <laughs> You occasionally get a snake in Australia. It is rare, but you would still not want to hang around near a snake, no. even though you've had the opportunity to do that before when you're growing up. Exactly. And still have nightmares of a red belly black snake going through the backyard, you know? So every time I see a little snake anywhere, I'm just, <laughs> I'll run the other way. Yeah. I've often had conversations with people in the pub or in a hostel. You might have experienced this too, that when someone hears your accent and they realise you're from Australia, the conversation quickly turns to dangerous animals that can kill you yeah. and that you live with them. And I don't know if it's the same for you, but for me, you grow up with it, so you're used to it. But th at the same time, you learn about it even in school and, and yeah. from your parents and things. So you learn how to recognise the animals and you learn which animals you need to treat with caution and which animals are perhaps, they're scary to look at, but they're not particularly dangerous. You kind of just have that. However, when I was in Canada, 
I found myself petrified of encountering a bear yeah. or a, a coyote or a, or some kind of mammal. And the Canadians thought I was stupid because, you know, why be scared of that? And I was thinking it's probably because I don't really know or understand these animals that I haven't grown up with or lived with. So it kind of is really based on education yeah, and experience yeah. as to where you can perhaps rationalize your fears. 100%. Like even even like sharks, like, you know, everyone's like, oh, I won't go swimming in the beach in Australia because a shark will get me. But like for us, what we're not going to, we always got to go for a swim at the beach. We, we know that a shark's, you know, very, very unlikely going to get us. So, um, you know, it's just one of those things. It's just, yeah, if you're not brought up there, if you don't, if you don't experience, you're not taught about it by your parents or whatever, then yeah, you just, you just don't know. You're a bit like bewildered. <laughs> I guess it's especially with the surfing too, it's like you're balancing risk and reward. I want the awesome waves, which is good reward and <laughs> possible shark attack, very, very low risk. Let's go out into the surf. Exactly. hundred percent. Yeah. And what you mentioned about the bears as well, like I got a friend that lives in Alaska and she goes like hiking and stuff and she's always put little photos of like a bear like 10 meters away i'm like what are you doing no way i'll be i'll be running like it's a snake so yeah it's a different mindset yeah it depends on your perspective and your education and i imagine they were grizzly bears too which i'm petrified of yeah definitely man there's <laughs> no way i don't mess with those guys <laughs> So are you teaching English in uh, Manchester now? Is that right? Um, I actually teach business studies in Manchester. I, um, I, my degree was in business. Um, so I picked up that and then I did some further teaching qualifications and now um, teach business studies here, which is good. Um, so it's, it's good you teach like the older, older kids, so A-level in the UK, so 16, 17, 18-year-olds. So it's quite good. Um, it's enjoyable. Kids are good. You know, I don't have to deal with the, the super young ones, which are a bit annoying. And then <laughs> and the year sevens, eights, nines and tens, which are just troublemakers. So they're a bit more older and a bit more mature. So, yeah, so that's good. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. exactly the same for when we were in high school, mate. <laughs> yeah. we, we were assholes between year seven, eight, nine and ten. And then all of a sudden the switch turns on and you're in your final two years and you're not being tools anymore. Yeah. It's bizarre. Yeah. And then you're. Yeah. Oh, I actually got to work hard and try and get some good grades here. So <laughs> yeah, otherwise you screw up your life. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, yeah, so that's where I'm at at the moment. So I've been here teaching in just last school day today, actually. So hey. my first year done at in Manchester teaching. But I've, I've obviously I've been in the UK for a few years now teaching. So yeah, it is enjoyable though. When you've been living in South Korea and now you're living in the UK, so that's two different countries you've lived and worked uh, outside of Australia. Yeah. Can you articulate any positives and negatives that comes with working abroad and being far away from where you grew up? The positives, I think the main positives for me is, I think, adaptability. And I think being able to move up, move and change and learn maybe a new school system, new area to live, find a place, all that stuff. And doing it quite now I've done it a fair few times it's it's a really good useful skill to have I think and and that's a one of my I guess big strengths when when I'm looking to get a job and I see that I've, I've lived and experienced a lot of different countries and 
moved around quite a bit and they know that I can just settle in and get on with the job. So being able to adapt to the cultures and the lifestyle and that is is a big thing. The obviously the negatives will be like just starting fresh and trying to find new friends and um, socialize, meet new people, find common interests. Um, I think that's quite difficult at the start, but once you sort of get a good platform and meet a few people, it's not too bad. But again, I always say, give yourself three months um, in a new place. And if, if it's, you know, if it's still struggling after that, then not meant to be, you you know, you might need to change. Yeah. I think good and bad. And it, it depends on where you, where you're going as well. Like Korea was good because there weren't many foreigners. So all the foreigners sort of stuck together a little bit. So there was a sense of community there coming here um like in oxford where i originally live and and also in manchester i found it maybe a little bit harder than korea actually to adjust the weather (laughs) the the darkness in winter was when i moved over you know constantly tired new job you have time to meet people and i I found out they're a little bit more difficult than than korea you set yourself a three-month goal when you're in a new place to get settled otherwise perhaps it's not meant to be yeah do you or have you formulated particular strategies that might work for you when you're trying to settle again in a new different place there's one thing actually, and this this helped really helped my experience in Korea actually. And I met a guy there who I actually met him at Seoul Airport when I landed, and he had he was from Canada or something, and um, he'd been in Korea before for a couple of years, and he left, went home, and he's just come back to Korea. And we I met him in there. Police like, you know what? I've been here before, and there's one piece of advice I could recommend is just always say yes, whatever it is. Just go, yeah, okay. Don't don't be lazy. Don't be like don't segregate yourself from the Korean community or whatever. If they want to go out to dinner, say, yes, just go, you know. So now too, you're tired, just, just do it anyway. So I've always tried to say yes and do things, even if it's out of my comfort zone. If it's, I don't really want to, or maybe I'm tired or exhausted, I always try and go and make that, that effort. And that makes things a lot easier, I think. And at the same time, it's got me into some sticky situations, but it's also... <laughs> made the people and the country and the cultures sort of accept me and and make things a lot easier to adjust now that you've said you've been into some sticky situations if you're willing i'd love to hear an example so the this one this one's a classic from korea but we went out to one of these teacher night outs drinking and and having a good meal or whatever and there's this one teacher and he had you know not very good English, but he was the one that looked after me a little bit and would always chat to me. And we were quite drunk. It was late in the evening. And he was like, on oh, next weekend, we want to go to Seoul and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, and he's like, you come, you come. I was like, oh, yes, yes, of course, yes. Like having no idea sort of what he meant. Was he, I don't know, what was he cheering or whatever. Anyway, I just thought, you know, I'll just say yes, we're both drunk and we'll forget about it. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so then a week later and it's a Friday and he's like, oh, you remember that thing I told you about? The bus will come and pick you up from your place at this time at 10 o'clock in the morning and then we'll go up to Seoul. Okay. It's like a two-hour drive. I was like, okay. And, but he still didn't explain what it was. So he finally got out some Google Translate and it was a massive big teachers protest in Seoul <laughs> all the Korean teachers were protesting with the school system in Seoul so I went up and it's at Seoul station and I'm not even exaggerating there must have been 15 20,000 people there protesting and guess what there's only one foreigner 
than me. (laughs) (laughs) He was two feet taller than the rest of them. Two feet taller. They got me a little sign. And (laughs) so many Koreans that I didn't know would come up and shake my hand and say, thank you for coming and thank you for supporting the cause. But obviously I didn't even know what the cause was. <laughs> I was just saying, I couldn't understand anything. I was just like, yeah, I just, just getting along with it. But like, it was a, it was a funny experience. And just saying yes, like, you know, at the time, I just, I didn't want to go and protest in the middle of summer in Seoul in the heat with like, I didn't know what was going on, but you know, it's, it tells for a good story and it was a good experience. And I think it made a lot of Koreans happy that I was there supporting their cause that I didn't know about. <laughs> Did the, the protest bring any results? To be honest, I don't, I don't even know. I think, <laughs> I think, um, I, I literally, I don't even know what they'll protest. No one could really explain it to me in good, good enough English for me to understand. So I was there and you know, people power. <laughs> I was in Seoul oh, really? last yeah. year, actually, and it was September, and it was pretty warm and pretty humid from yeah. memory. So I can imagine in the summer it must be pretty unbearable. Yeah, the humidity is pretty unbearable. Yeah, definitely. I was uh, wandering around more or less uh, the centre and encountered a massive marching protest myself. So I'm curious whether that's purely coincidental or whether people in Korea quite like a bit of a protest. They do They do like a little bit of a protest. And it's always, it's good because it's always peaceful. It's not like, you know, you won't see riot police. Or it's just like they'll sit down and bring some food or there'd be one person on the microphone. It's all orderly, you know, it's all organised. People would be in their little groups or in lines and stuff and... It's all like, it's all perfectly organized, not like here or, you know, in America or Oz, where it's just riots and people get angry. It's just like peaceful protests. So I, I was standing on the side of the road and just watching because it's quite a spectacle. And uh, maybe because I stood out, like, you know, you and I both yeah. do, you know, white baldies <laughs> yeah. who were in an Asian nation. And uh, I had uh, a few guys come up to me and say, thanks for coming. Yeah. And one guy in particular gave me a big document okay. in English about what the protest was for. Okay. And I found that something that I hadn't experienced before. Yeah. So it's definitely a cultural significant thing that this is how they run their protests and it's different to what you might get in other yeah, countries. Yeah, it's a lot more, lot more formal, a lot more organised. And yeah, just not just on a whim sort of deal. Yeah, yeah, it's a good experience, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, everything is uh, is a good story. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's, it's a memory and something that is random and spontaneous and makes for a, a good tale. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Where was the last place you travelled to? Last place? Um, October last year, we went to um, Rome and Naples. So we did, a little, did about, about a week in both of those. So... Um, Living in the UK, I've come to like appreciate and understand history a little bit more. <laughs> and and my wife is big in the history, so you know that coming into my mind quite a bit in the last couple of years has sort of had a spark of interest to go to Rome and then obviously understand a little bit more about that. So that was quite good. And then same with um, Naples, actually, and go to Pompeii um, and stuff like that. So that was that was quite a good experience as well short one it wasn't a big travel trip but just just for a week so that was yeah really good it's really easy to do i guess you just flew out of manchester on one of those cheap airlines and that's it city breaks it yeah easy easy peasy isn't it you can just jump on a plane and then you're there it's yeah very cheap i imagine these days you mostly travel with your missus and earlier on you were traveling solo would that be correct for the most part i was 
for my major trips, I would travel with a mate or a couple of mates. I have done quite a bit of traveling just by myself as well. And then obviously the last, probably the last two years, uh, me and my missus have been doing a little bit more. Um, I still occasionally go by myself and, and I'll meet up with mates somewhere. And I've got a few mates in Norway and Sweden and stuff. And I'll go and see them. Generally now, obviously, uh, me and my missus will go to, or me and my wife will go um, we just did a six months through Southeast Asia two years ago. That was the last big trip. Um, but before then, um, a lot of it was yeah with mates and uh, all by myself, really. So you're quite adaptable, I imagine, whether you go alone or with friends and you don't mind either way, positives and negatives. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of the time when I have gone with my mates, you know, we'd go together and then maybe at the back end, I'll just go off by myself for a month or a few weeks and just do my own thing for a little while just to tick a few things off that maybe I didn't get to see or do that I really wanted to I might go back to a place so for example we did like me and a couple of mates did all through down Central America and South America and they all sort of went home or went somewhere else and I sort of went back to Central America and wanted to do a few more countries and places that we missed on the way down so just did that by myself so just little things like that where I, I feel maybe you know, I just put it to myself and I think, am I ever going to be over here this side of the world anytime soon? Maybe not, probably not. Will I ever come back? I don't know. So I may as well, while I'm here, I may as well just go back up there and do what I want to do because, you know, this opportunity might not ever come again. So that's, that's the sort of way I think of it. Yeah. Yeah. So you sort of strike a balance and you're quite happy to travel with people, but also you've got no issues going solo. Positives for both, definitely, yeah. I, I quite like doing both and I don't particularly plan things to be specifically solo or specifically mm. with a friend or in a group. It is what it is and then I often plan differently according to what will suit a solo traveller or what might suit a group. I think being flexible is key. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's it. And you don't, like, you, you plan a trip, you might say, I'm going to go here, and then a few people want to come, then they come. If Then you then you adapt your plans to the situation, really. So, um, yeah, 100% correct. Be flexible and open-minded. And What I want to go to next is uh, the, the idea of tech. Earlier on in this call, we were having major tech issues, yeah. which I'm thankfully hoping and praying that have been resolved. Otherwise, <laughs> this could be a big problem. Yeah. But you've been traveling for a while now. And as with all things technology, it progresses very, very quickly. And you can either adapt or not, or embrace or refuse to accept mm. technological changes. I was wondering, as a traveler, is there a particular piece of tech or equipment that you really like and that you use everywhere this is an interesting one like and i i don't want to say my phone and <laughs> i do get into the habit of using my phone i think everyone does nowadays but to me the biggest thing that i would look for is a good backpack that's it when i'm about to go traveling or go on a trip i don't look at a new a good new phone or you know an ipad or something to take me i look for a good backpack to take i think that's the most important thing and I've got a strict criteria for me that exactly what I want in a backpack so making sure I have a good quality backpack that, that's about it you know like you can even I've got a crappy little phone and that does the job and that's that's the most important thing because that's obviously the thing that you're going to be utilizing the most so I think the backpack is the most important thing for me do you have a couple of different options for backpacks depending on where you're going and what time of year it is? Yeah, so I've got a couple. I've got a, quite a big one, which is my first one. So if we're doing a maybe a bigger trip and, you know, we're going to sort of 
colder places where I might need some thicker clothing, I might use that. But I've got this smaller one, 50 litre, um, which is perfect. And I pretty much take that everywhere, really. It's carry on. It's waterproof. It opens up so you don't have to dig down to the bottom of the bag. And that is my staple go-to. Um, even, you know, going through Southeast Asia with uh, my wife for six months, that's all I had. Just this 50 litre. It was perfect. I don't have to check it in or anything like that. I just you know just overhead storage so efficient and convenient yeah yeah and i could tell like my wife was struggling a bit because she had like this other bag and always had to get you know checked in and digging all the stuff out of there and i'll just go boop, boop, done. <laughs> you know so, yeah yeah <laughs> being all slight yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you have uh, particular brands of backpacks that you prefer i do i've got like a north face one at the moment which is quite good that's the one i have been using the last few trips the like the the better brands like osprey is quite good as well and a couple of mates have got the same sort of one so we all sort of <laughs> we've got a bit of loyalty to the, this particular type of backpack with traveling kit it's quite easy to become loyal to a brand because if you get something and you like it yeah. you just can't be bothered changing yeah, i'm the same with north face as well i've got some shoes that i bought originally in the north face store in san francisco yeah I couldn't tell you how many pairs of North Face shoes I've bought since. It could be almost 10. <laughs> and almost the same one, just the upgraded version. And I find them kind of multi-terrain and you can use them in the city and also on the trails and they're Gore-Tex and lightweight and perfect for backpacking. Yeah, well, that's what you want, exactly. And you and little things like that, like having good shoes or good, you know, just little things you wouldn't even really think about. Um when you're packing and when you're going on a big trip and I always try to, you know, have versatile shoes, as you said, that are sort of good for, to going out and have a drink, but also you can go on a hike with them or, you know, have some waterproof clothes, have like light clothes that fit in that don't, you know, that dry quick and, you know, just simple things like that, like a good travel towel or just stuff like that. If you haven't been traveling before, you might just not even think about it's interesting that you've talked about the important things for you are good pieces of clothing and comfortable equipment rather than actual electronic technology. As I said, like the phone's good, but you, like, I, and I really hate myself for doing this. I never used to do it, but I get myself into a trap of like, for example, in Rome and I'll spend half an hour looking for a good restaurant on, you know, looking at all the different reviews. It's just don't ask the person at reception. Uh, that's what I used to do. That's, that's a better way to do it. I think rather than, you know, searching and scrolling and walking around, trying to find the best place, just like, just chat to people and say, Oh, you know, is it, you know, a good restaurant around here. Like, I think that's a better way to go about it. I don't want to get stuck on the phone. It's a bit annoying. I, I get a bit frustrated at myself. I think that's a really valid point. And for people who are still out there traveling or mm. wishing to travel in the future, that you have to be mindful of not letting the technology rule your experience, but perhaps going a bit old school, yeah. at least at times, if you find it a little bit more challenging and asking people and, and interacting with people without using your device, doing it like we used to do before technology was in charge, let's say, it just makes the experience completely different and sometimes more rewarding. 100%. Like, the phone, obviously, the phone's good to, like, like book a place, um, you know, the next night or whatever, or book a flight or whatever, but you don't want to be stuck scrolling, which is what you would do at home, scrolling or watching YouTube. I don't know, you know, there's stuff that you could do at home. Just put it away. Just don't, You don't even really need it out. Just leave it there and you go and have a chat. And even, like, when, as you said, when we first started travelling, like, 
I guess we probably would have had smartphones back then as well, but I definitely did not use them as much as we would now. And I think now that Wi-Fi is more accessible and it's obviously a new generation and stuff are more attached to it, I think, you, you know, you can survive without it. And you can see, like, even when you go into hostels and stuff, because I still stay in hostels. Brilliant, and, right? Love yeah, it. Yeah, and you can still you can see the difference between, like, the younger generation and the older ones will be just sitting there by themselves having a beer, staring in the space, and the younger ones will be, like, uploading stuff on the Instagram. You can see the distinct difference between people in a hostel. It's quite interesting. But, yeah, yeah my advice is, if you can, leave it. Leave it in the room and go and socialise and have a chat to people instead. Mm-mm. Yeah, I think it's good to use it as a tool, like you said, for convenience and booking a flight, but relying on it to interact with people or to discover the city, perhaps try to minimise. I remember I was, I was in Colombia for a week or two and um, I met these uh, American guy and an Aussie guy and we decided to get like a little apartment together just for a week. It worked out a bit cheaper. And that whole week we were in that apartment they just sat there on Tinder <laughs> all day, every day, chatting, 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 chatting. I said, why don't you just go out? <laughs> Let's go out tonight. And they're like, they wouldn't even go out in the evenings. They'd just sit there on Tinder and chat. Hopefully they wouldn't have to go anywhere or do anything and the girl would just come over. Wow. And like, I would be like, let's go and have a beer or do something. And, you know, they just didn't, didn't want to bar it. So yeah, it's just, it's just interesting. <laughs> yeah. Random experience. So I imagine you just went out on your own and met people out in the pub, the bar. Yeah. I just, I was staying at a hostel before the apartment. So I just always go back to the hostel and hang out with whoever's there. So yeah. I've done the same too, mate. Sometimes you forget how wonderful a place a hostel is for meeting people that you can easily find connection with. Yeah. And I think it's a, it's funny when you look for a hostel as well, when you're looking to book one or what you look for. And I uh, look for that little atmosphere tab to make sure it's quite high. Nice. Atmosphere, atmosphere, location, tick, tick, then that's made sorted. And that's, that's what it's all about, I think. Yeah. You know what it was like for me way back in the day? I think I started using hostels in 2005. Yeah. This is before all the major apps and websites were pure booking agencies. Let's say 2009, 2010, where, you know, Hostel World and Booking.com and all these things were becoming fairly mainstream and all the hostels were listed there rather than you having to search out hostels and book direct, which was what you used to do before. My um, requirements was, number one, free breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, that's what me and my wife look for now actually is free breakfast every time we go <laughs> I, I don't know if you've been to Vietnam but they do like free breakfast and they do like free beers in the evenings it's just unbelievable for like two dollars a night it's just like <laughs> where are they making their money so yeah, it's amazing <laughs> I have not been to Vietnam Daz uh, would you recommend specific destinations or experiences there yeah so this is uh, obviously this is a question that comes up a lot when you meet other travelers and stuff and I think um, more recently, yeah, Vietnam, uh, we just, me and my wife at now, we just had an absolute bore, just like the food, um, not, a, not a massive foodie, but the food was so good and the people and the culture, it's busy, there's cool little cafes everywhere because it's, you know, ruled by France for a while. So it's a, so it's a little bit, you know, French, like cool little cafes and you've got the Bar Me and the French inspired architecture, but then it's in Southeast Asia as well. So Vietnam was really, really cool. We really enjoyed that. I also had a lot of good time in, a really good time in Costa Rica. Costa Rica is one of my favourites. Um, I've been there a couple of times and that's 
obviously it's in Central America, but I think a lot of people don't really like Costa Rica when they're traveling through Central America just because it's double the price of everywhere else. But I found it just so like, so cool. It's got the beaches, it's got the surf, you can go dive, it's got the mountains, it's got, it's got everything. And a lot of those other Central American countries don't really have that. So Costa Rica was really cool. Went to Brazil for the World Cup in 2014 that was really good as well that was obviously more party and people and stuff yeah and there's a few others up there portugal Slovenia was really cool as well um, fast five five quick fire questions require five quick fire answers my guests must answer five random questions about traveling without thinking too much good to go question one northern or southern northern question two single or double double question three beer or wine Beer. Question four, shower shoes or no shoes? No shoes. Question five, leather or rubber? Rubber. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Fast five. 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 I was curious if you had any 2020 plans that have fallen through because of this pandemic. Well, actually, um, we're supposed to be leaving tomorrow. <laughs> um holidays yes so tomorrow we're supposed to go to romania actually for a couple of weeks um there's a music festival there i wanted to go to um we're going to go that there for a few days and then just explore around romania and like transylvania and stuff so that was the yeah so that, that was the main one for the summer holidays but obviously sort of thinking of a few other things but obviously that all went out the window are you going to reschedule this romania thing for the following year to catch the festival or will you just yeah i think so hopefully we're going to try and reschedule for next year still got the tickets and stuff yeah we're just it's a long time away so we'll, we'll just have to wait and see and in terms of other places that obviously are on your ever-growing list have you got any plans in the pipeline or are you waiting it out until this coronavirus problem starts to ease off we're quite lucky. My one of my mates has got a, like a really good VW camper van, so he's lent to that um, in a couple of weeks' time. So we're going to take that up to like the Scottish Isles and the Scottish Highlands for a week. So that'll be quite cool. Um, so that's the next little trip. And then depending on border rules and stuff, I might be going to Norway for a week or so. The other major one is really um, I really haven't been there. Maybe you've been there, but I've really done like Serbia, Montenegro, Kosovo. Bosnia that sort of area and I met a traveler once a few years ago now and she did it all and she just loved it and it's just been in the back of my mind ever since so that's that's the main next big trip I'd, I'd like to go to hopefully sometime soon. Yeah I've met some friends of mine who uh, have sort of recently been around that Balkans area. Yeah, I haven't been personally the closest I've got to is Dubrovnik and the bottom end of Croatia. It's some place that I'm intrigued by. I'd really like to go to Albania. These days, I've got a few contacts and friends in that region. So it would be really convenient to go pop in and say hi to them at the same time as ideally probably driving around in a car, a rental, and checking it all out. One day in the future, for sure. But I think similarly to you, I'll be doing more travel closer to home for the foreseeable. You said going into Scotland and then quickly flying over to Norway, border rules going your way make the most of what options we have right now well that's it yeah while we're here gotta make the most of it and you know, it'd be good for like smaller businesses and their local economy as well if we can stay local as they say for, for the summer holidays anyway 
Do you find being a teacher having your limited sort of rigid holiday time a hindrance or you're not bothered by having particular windows that you can travel? I, it is a little bit. Um, it's not too bad in the UK because the term time is broken up quite a bit. So you do like five, six, seven weeks of work and then you get a week or two off and then you do that again. So you get quite a few little weeks, two weeks, weeks, two weeks here and there. So it is quite quite good in that sense. So you can pick and choose. Um However, I am quite lucky where I work. Um, my college at school dates are a bit different to a lot of other school holidays, which is good. So, for example, we'd be finished today and then I'd go, but all the other schools finish next week or halfway through the, you know, a bit longer. They go for an extra week and a half or so. There's some holidays like that where it doesn't match up with everyone else's, so which is good for me. And obviously my wife, then we can book something where it's a bit cheaper and a bit more accessible, won't be as crowded and stuff. Hopefully can capitalise on that next year, <laughs> not this year. Do crowds bother you? or? Yeah, I think that's one thing in Europe. Like I've been to a couple of places where it's just been ridiculous. I went to Venice once and just like, oh. A bit too much. So I think, you know, going away to like those places like I mentioned before, like Kosovo and Bosnia, where it's not so touristy. So, yeah, it's not, it's more appealing than, you know, like everyone goes to Croatia. You know, I don't have much appeal to get, like, it's, I bet you it's beautiful. I have a great time, but it's not much appeal for me to go there at the moment. And, you know, a lot of places like that, like Ibiza or, you know, go to Spain or whatever. So try and look to somewhere it's a bit less. That's, you know, off the beaten track a little bit, yeah. Do you think your accent's changed at all since you left Batemans Bay? Yeah, 100%. I, I, I do get made fun of a little bit when I go home and stuff. And, <laughs> and I think it's teaching as well. Like, I've had to change it a little bit, tone it down a little bit, stop the swearing in the classroom. <laughs> um, but I've, I'm surprised you haven't sworn that much on this episode, uh, man. I know, I have. I've been good. You've been very uh, good at your self-control. <laughs> I'm used to I'm used to doing my online lessons for the last six weeks or two months where I've had to be good and behave. Certain words that they just wouldn't understand, and I've had to change it. And I've just slowly altered it because they some that you can just see you teach, you can just see that they're going, "What's he saying?" So I've had to I do change a little bit. Yeah, definitely. One of the first things that I dropped when I was traveling, and I can't even think the last time I said "g'day." Don't never say "g'day" or. Never overplay the Aussie anymore. Like that's one thing that annoys me when I when I travel when you meet another Aussie and they're like, oh, yeah, oh, how you going, mate? And he's like, oh, good day, mate. You know, they get full Aussie. It's just like, okay, settle down. <laughs> I know you're Australian. You don't have to prove it to me. <laughs> yeah, I find myself saying, all right, all right. Yeah, right, all right, mate. In it. <laughs> so it's just sort of assimilating. And I think when you are living in a place where you're not really encountering many Australians. You naturally just evolve and your your word choice and your accent, it, it changes gradually. Definitely. I always remember, I didn't think it would. And I always remember like, I don't know if you remember Harry Kuehl, the football player, when he moved over and you could see his progression of his accent change over time from being like a young Aussie kid to like sounding quite English. And I was like, oh, I hope that doesn't happen to me. And it sort of has, it slowly is. <laughs> Daz, the last thing just before we run out of time is I was curious if you had any advice that you'd been taught over the years. Um, you know, one of the big things I, met, I sort of mentioned saying yes before, like obviously try and be open and say yes. But the big thing is if you haven't 
dumb stuff. Just like people are afraid and people are like, oh, you know, I'm going to save up a bit more money. I'm going to do this. I want to buy a new car or this or that. If you're keen to travel, you just buy your ticket. That's all you do. Buy your ticket. Then commit. Commit. Then you know, okay, I don't have much money. I just forked out 500 bucks for this ticket. I've got no money. You know, I'm flying in six months. I've got to work and save and then you'll go and do it. You will never regret going and doing it. All right. So I think the best thing is book your ticket, no matter what you're doing. And you just go. If you if you don't like it, what? You lose a bit of money. You, do, you don't have fun and you come home. That's it. You can get back on with life. And then if you don't enjoy the traveling, but I just, just make that commitment and then it just opens your eyes and then and then you'll then you'll learn and experience so many things it's just so good you'll never never know if you never never go <laughs> that's it that's it <laughs> was that australian was that on an ad i think it was do you remember daryl summers from hey hey it's saturday yeah 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 northern territory ad <laughs> oh that's right yeah they were doing northern territory tourism you'll never never know if you never never go that's it say yes come here Right then. Thanks for coming on the podcast and it's been amazing speaking with you and catching up and hearing of all your stories. And Thanks, mate. I really appreciate it. Good to make contact and have a chat again. It's good to hear and see a familiar face from Bateman's Bay. It's always good. We go, us Bateman's Bay boys, we've got to stick together, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're only around the corner, well, you know, down the motorway these days. So when all this nonsense from covid cleans up and i have to go for a pint somewhere manchester or liverpool 100%. makes no difference to me i know that both cities really well 100 percent. yeah next time i'm in liverpool i'll give you a shout mate for sure thanks for listening to the nostalgic vagabond my guest has been daz madigan there are more episodes in this podcast series where you can hear more stories from other travelers check them out wherever you get your podcasts you can also follow me at the nostalgic b Thanks to Tom Forfer for creating the soundtrack to the series. Don't forget, your journey is special. Own it. I've been Alan Hill. Until next time.